Alright, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the Average Years Podcast. Couldn't play that whole song. Y'all be out here doing the electric slide out front. Welcome to the I Refuse Podcast, everybody. If this is your first time listening to the I Refuse Podcast, let me formally introduce myself. I'm Mr. Fox, the star proprietor and the producer of this here I Refuse Podcast, the I Refuse Podcast After Dark, and with my lovely co-host on an additional podcast, The Usual Suspects, with Abstract Sagittarius. So, get locked in and loaded. Get some popcorn, get some champagne or something. As we go into this episode, it's a fat episode where we talk about a few things that occurred since last week's episode that tie into the theme of selective outrage, right? So we have C.C. Winans, gospel legend, icon, can sing circles around many of your faves, decides during one of her sermons from the pulpit of all places to use a Whitney Houston antidote to preach about demonic entities and words and going against God if you sing certain things or appear in media that support lyrics and such like that. Very weird. Girlfriend was preaching so hard you would have thought she was trying to get into Greenleaf. Also during this episode, get into our review of Shaka Khan's interview slash appearance on the originals podcast that a lot of people didn't know existed. They were just going off of bits and pieces that people cherry picked from this hour plus long interview discussing not only her life, which you got to get into that mama has lived, but also the tail end of the episode where they talked about the Rolling Stones 200 best singers list. And of course, those of us that have been outside are aware that, like Stephanie Mills, Auntie Stephanie Mills, Auntie Shaka Khan does not mince words, stays true to who she is, and is of the old school variety. But she has the career and the 
vocal technique and the vocal styles and the range. She doesn't sing just one style of music to back up what she sang. So get into that. We also, during this episode, will provide our review of Chris Rock's latest Netflix comedy special, Selective Outrage. What he discusses the tail end of that special where he goes in on Will and Jada, and in our opinion, rightfully so. Our review differs from other people's review, particularly of the last part of that special, and how we need to start looking at people that go through stuff like that as humans, how they, like the rest of us, feel a sense of disappointment and a sense of frustration, but while also staying true to our principles, how that's very hard to navigate, and there's a lot more respect from us to people like that. Also get into some housekeeping items. Larsa Pippen, Jonathan Majors, The Woman Catfish by Omarion, which was interesting. And some of you uh, out there who had a lot to say about the woman, like it wasn't plausible that she could pull somebody that looked like Omarion. Get into that. We also uh, check out the bonus episode that's coming out after this episode where we, we review... Real Housewives of Potomac Season 7 in its entirety. And also the Real Housewives of Potomac Season 7 reunion. Particularly Part 2 and Part 3. That will be a standalone bonus episode. Be sure to to also follow and subscribe to the I Refuse podcast wherever you see us on streaming platforms. And also get into our Twitter page at I Refuse Podcast. We cut up over there. Check out our YouTube channel. Once that starts getting more heat, starts getting more subscribers, I'll get back on on camera and start cutting up. Let's get into the episode. Housekeeping items for y'all asses. So, to the woman who thought she was engaged to a Marion... You better than me. All right, so in case y'all missed it, there, Dr. Phil in his last season had, in his final season, the current season, brought a woman on to his show. The entire hour essentially revolved around this woman, this black woman, out of, I think, Alabama or some damn, some damn where to convince the rest of us that she was, she is engaged to Marion. That she had been talking to Marion for a while and that he popped the question, all of which over Instagram. Here's where I get off. This is where this is where I get off the bus. Because it's like, ma'am, you 
it you like she y'all must think we boo 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 the fool like we are in the throes still of catfishing is still a real thing and it's to the point now that it's profitable right and when you think about it, you got you sit back and you're like, "This is some sad, terrible shit." And on some moral level, I just I just can't. Like, Catfish has been on MTV for who knows how long. I I don't know. They did a movie, they did a documentary, and then they brought it back. Like it's on like MTV two, MTV like. The shit's been around for a long time. Now, I stopped watching it once I realized this shit, like, once stuff started not mathing for me and I realized, I think both sides are in on it. And you know, like, people, the the big thing these days is people want to be on TV. You know, you got... Baddies, you got the Baddies West, Baddies South, all the bad girls clubs, right? So it's like, that's the big thing. Like, I I tried to get into, like, the newer episodes of Catfish, and I was just like, both of y'all are in, an, in on this. Like, I was watching one with two guys. And it got to the point in the episode where everybody's in the front yard of the other guy that's being confronted. And maybe in their minds, they thought they were, they were believable and credible, but it was just like the man, I feel like they both knew that the guy that is being confronted had a boyfriend and knew that before Catfish was brought in, before MTV was brought in. And, you know, Neve and the other guy, pretty good actors, trying to convince us that, you know, they didn't know or they're trying to be the smart guys and come to and realize, oh shit, this this isn't real. This is a waste of our time and be all noble and valiant for us and shit. I'm just like, ain't no, ain't no fucking way. Like, some of them are believable, right? But it's something about when it's two guys... And this has nothing to do with physicality or anything, but it's just like the acting could be better. So here you have this lady trying to convince us that she is engaged to Marion. And it's just like, girl, I can tell you that you're being catfished. And 
shame on Dr. Phil. You know, for for the longest time, he's always acted like he was above exploitation and wasting studio and camera time and manpower highlighting dumb internet shit. And it was just like, here you are in your final season playing right into being exploitative, being um, performative. Like, on one hand, I can see delusions of grandeur and being duped and being taken advantage of as something to explore on the ground of psychology, right? But at some point, even in that little clip we saw, it was just like, you you can't be serious. Like, I wouldn't even feel right having somebody on that's going through that. And it's like, you know it's not you know it's not for real. And come to find out, you know, once Omarion got wind of it, he came out and said this woman was not talking to him. She was actually talking to a former manager of his. So she was being catfished, duped, had X amount of money taken from her by this ex-manager claiming to be Omarion. And Dr. Phil in his final season, after convincing us or trying to convince us that he is an actual doctor of psychology and he knows what he's talking about and he's so above being exploitative and being trash talk, talk and all this other stuff, like, the the brunt of his existence on TV has been drama-filled and borderline, like, trashy talk TV. It's like Jerry Springer, but without the physical fights. Like, the studio may look refined, but let's keep it a buck. Like, you're ex- you, are, you are exploiting this woman and making... Money off of black people's pain and embarrassment and humiliation. She better than me. That woman is better than me. Because if I'm going through something that I clearly would need therapy for, I wouldn't go to national TV That's embarrassing, and it's not a good look for Dr. Phil. And fuck you to the person that commented on the IG clip asking, was the lady laying down? Y'all ain't shit for that. Another housekeeping item. Tim Norman and his hips sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder-for-hire plot of his nephew. So if you ever... Had the own channel or used to back in its beginning stages. Right around the time that Oprah figured out the the channel game and got like 
some reality, like very, you know, diversified her channel. She had a reality show called Welcome to Sweetie Pies, which starred Mrs. Robbie, who was a former ICAT back in the day. As she has a chain of self-owned Southern cuisine restaurants called Sweetie Pies. Now, the cast on the show, it was her. It was two of her sisters at the time. Her son, Tim. Her grandson with the curly hair. And um, her, if, and another, and another, like, young guy who she, who she took in. So, at some point during the run of the show, there was some tension between Tim, Miss Robbie's son, and the the kid that she took in i think it was um one of our other kids children like he was tim was always aggressive and physical with this particular boy who was responsible reliable just all around good kid and at some point he was murdered, like shot and killed, died. And it had been a mystery for a while. But around that same time, and this is coming from somebody that didn't watch the show religiously, but from what I'd seen, like Tim just had some something that just, it didn't quite curl all the way around for me. Like the way he was with, his ex-girlfriend at the time or ex-fiance at the time like their little spats it's almost like he went to a he just the look on his face during some arguments he just it just gave off dark vibes or whatever so you know it had been a mystery for a while miss Riley didn't know what was going on like who could have possibly had done this well, things, the spotlight start to turn towards Tim a little bit more when he started dating Jennifer Williams from Basketball Wives, right? That wasn't a prominent storyline on the show, but it was like, as soon as you knew that they were dating and you saw her on the show like once or twice, things had ended. And it led to Jennifer getting a restraining order against him. And it was like, oh, wow. And more and more details came out about that. So it was like, this too, Tim, is really weird. And this is aside from the fact that Tim has hips. Tim has legs and hips and body, body. But anyway, um, so that raised another eyebrow for me where I was just like, something about Tim is not curling all the way around for me. 
So, lo and behold, this is probably the bombshell came either right before the pandemic or at the top of the the first season of the pandemic to where it came out that he set the whole thing up. And how how it happened is the nephew got a call. He was he was with, I believe, Miss Robbie or some of the family at the house or whatever. And he got a call. The nephew got a call on the phone. And I believe it was Tim. And he said, you know, either to come outside and meet him or come to this this location. There's an emergency or something. The nephew got there. Our car pulled up. Shot him a couple. Shot the nephew a couple times and pulled off. Well, of course, when you do a murder for hire, and people start investigating shit, all the people that connect you to the murder are gonna talk. Especially if you, if you're not. Especially if you hired somebody locally. That's that's the first mistake. You hire somebody locally. And it's not like anybody major. This is somebody from around the way. This is people that either you know or somebody you know knows. And then on top of that, they do the murder. You know, they, they get paid. Not that much, by the way. They do the murder, and all of y'all still stay in town. Y'all don't disappear. Y'all don't go to Alaska. Y'all don't go to, like, the Netherlands. Y'all don't take a vacation for six months. Y'all don't go to the Amazon. Y'all stay y'all asses. And I think it happened in St. Louis or Missouri somewhere, Mississippi. Y'all stay y'all asses. In the town where it happened. And where y'all live. Y'all should never shit where y'all sleep. But yeah, Tim and his hips. Sentenced to life. Imprisonment for the murder for hire plot that he set up. Against his nephew. And for why though. I, I think at the time they were saying. It was for insurance money. But it was like. like what is going on? Like, already bad at business. That's the other thing, too. Like, around that time, he was trying to upend Miss Robbie, trying to expand, like, opening other locations or looking into opening other locations behind her back and doing all this shady behind-the-scenes shit that was undermining her image and her credibility. Like, Sweetie Pie started because of her, and you with no legal executive authority to expand behind her back or without her um, approval. Hell, that, that came out on the show, too, but it was just like, wow. Like, dude, you are weird. And 
most of the stuff that he tried to start or tried to execute ended up failing, messing up our brand, fucking up our money. And it's like, this is your only job. Why can't you at least do right by that? But it makes you wonder, like, was that the motive for killing your nephew? Insurance to get money to recover. Now you don't have anything. Tim and your hips, Tim and his hips are going to be in jail for the rest of his natural life. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Because that, that was fucked up. That was definitely fucked up. And he deserved every bit of that. So moving on. Akila. Kiki Ajab Palmer. Had her first child, a boy. With her boyfriend, Darius Jackson. But this is what is has been bugging me out the past couple of days is the name. So they named their first child Leotis Andrelton Jackson. Bitch. When I tell you that sounds like the Prince of Cabrini Green. Like the Count of EBT. I screamed. I said, I even tagged her in a tweet. I said, you name that baby LaHoo? Where'd they do that at? Anyway, love that for her. Love that for them. You know, a healthy baby. To have a healthy baby is a blessing in and of itself. I love that for Key Keeper Job Palmer. Another housekeeping item. You know, y'all are still throwing yourselves in the sword over the fact that one of the Bailey sisters is going to be playing the Little Mermaid in the live action Little Mermaid movie. Now y'all are throwing yourselves on the sword for... Because Yara Shididi is playing Tinkerbell in, as part of an ensemble cast in, a, in the movie Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, two things. Calling it race swapping. And then you have some people out here that are up in arms because they feel like she as Tinkerbell, should have had her own standalone movie. Which, this is where I get off, because it's like, never in the history of this story existing, even as early as when Robin Williams was Peter Pan, and Julia Roberts was Tinkerbell. Did you ever get the feeling that a standalone Tinkerbell movie would definitely work on its own? Because it's like Tinkerbell is not a main character, and all the other characters exist for the sole purpose of supporting Peter Pan. 
Like I want to do too much. And this is a different argument than one where it's like, oh, well, why why does Tinker Bell have to be black? Oh, well, that's not keeping true to the story. And it's like, reading the book, there was no race tied to the characters at all. Like, it's a fantasy story. And I be- if I'm not mistaken, the story exists and occupies solely in a dream or a dream land of some kind. So it could be anybody being in any of the roles. And it will be just as impactful and all, all that other shit. But it's like it wouldn't have worked to have a standalone Tinkerbell movie, whether Tinkerbell was black, white, yellow, green, polka dot, purple. It's just y'all want, at some point, all this cherry picking and all this trolling and all this, well, why isn't it like this? And if it was, the moment the story comes out, you'd be like, well, why isn't it like this instead of that? And it's like, well, you really weren't going to go see the movie anyway, and it's not about the movie. Like, if we're going to be ten toes down with representation, we also got to be ten toes down with not only the word, but the history, and devoting our energy into a reality where it's like everybody's included, and it's not just somebody that we like. And you just never know, like, at some point they might just do that. But here y'all go. The first two minutes, the story has air. Why isn't it like this? And why can't it be this? Alright, well, won't you make it happen? Before we get into the America Has a Problem segment, I want to round out the housekeeping items with the last couple of things. Jonathan Majors is a fucking movie star. Creed 3 is on my list. Secondly, I want to ask y'all out there, why are we so pressed about Larsa Pippen? And why do y'all continue? It's to the point that you give this girl, this woman a platform. And it's not out of respect for the game because Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan have long since retired. But y'all are, you know, Tamron Hall show, people that have presented themselves for the longest time as highbrow. Invite Larsa Pippen on y'all show. And are a little bit aggressive. It's like, why are y'all that pressed? Like, yes, she is the ex-wife of Scottie Pippen. Yes, Marcus Jordan is the son of Michael Jordan. Like, y'all gotta keep in mind that there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes when it comes to the image of greats that is kind of like you may want to fall back a little bit. Two grown people, yeah, it looks weird, but 
If they don't have a problem, we shouldn't have a problem. Well, what about Michael Jordan? Like, you know, you've literally been part of or around the family since he was a boy. Yeah, it's weird, but it's not like they're on the same family tree. You think Michael Jordan is pressed about that? Please. Even in Michael Jordan's heyday, and even after that, MJ was somewhat of an asshole. And that came to be more obvious the bigger and the greater he got within the confines in the NBA. But here we are in 2023, all up in Lars's business, and not because we care about the game, but we want to confirm what the hell we've heard about this lady on the streets over the years leading up to this relationship. And it's kind of bringing down, you know, legitimate news journalism in favor of trash TV in the guise of selective outrage, which you'll find is a theme in this episode. Like, you have so many opportunities, other opportunities to have like formidable guests on your show because think about it Larsa Pippen has been invited on the Tamron Hall show doesn't have a book doesn't have an album doesn't have a movie to promote y'all just bring her on to be all up in her business I mean good for her getting the money and booking the gigs and everything you know do what you gotta do but it's very much given when Y'all probably don't remember this. When Nas's baby mother, Carmen Jones, I think her name was, was wrote a book. And essentially, despite the book, you know, making a book or whatever, she she promoted it with this this narrative or this claim to fame that not only did she sleep with Nas, but she also slept with Jay-Z. And as soon as that was magnified on The Breakfast Club, it was like, I, I get it. And she's trying to make herself credible off of that. It, too many parallels to where it's like, you, you are making your fame off of being essentially a pass around and it's like didn't do it like the superhead way didn't really take a hundred percent ownership of it and took you know control of the narrative and said yes this is me it's like she didn't do really well at the, at the Tamron Hall interview it's like you came on to kind of swerve and bob and weave and you were tripping over your words it's like staying 10 toes down with the decision like fuck what everybody else has to say to adults yes i know his dad yes i know his mom yes i've been to their house over the years as he was growing up like you take ownership of it nobody else can say can manipulate it Now, a lot of people out here, the trend right now is 
revisiting history and revising the perception. Oh, well, mind you, yes, they're married now or they're dating now, but so-and-so couple, when they first met, she was 18 and he was 30. And you know, people like to, especially white people like to toe the line when it comes to perception and implication. Like, oh, he, they're implying or, you know, putting the assumption out there that the guy groomed the woman. Even though 18, 19, especially when you've had a career for a long while, you're not a child in your mom's house and this guy's coming over your house and trying his way. You are a woman with a career. At 18, 19 years old, the people on the outside opining on can't say for themselves. It's like the outrage. If the guy's older than the girl, oh, he's he's the predator. But if the woman is older than the guy, it's quiet. Very, very quiet. So, moving on. America, America has a problem. <sighs> Priscilla, Priscilla, Priscilla. What are you doing, girl? Before y'all go in on me, I'm not referring to Priscilla Presley. Old girl's been through enough. We hear the I Refuse podcast because we often discuss things that are either happening to black people or saying to black people or saying to us by black people. Best believe that we are referring to somebody black. In this segment. One Priscilla. Winans. Or for those of us that have been outside since the 80s. C.C. Winans. Of the Winans. Gospel music dynasty. One half of B.B. and C.C. Winans. Was a very close friend of Whitney Houston. Cece Winans has yet again showed her slip. You know, it wasn't too long ago, probably in the second season of the Panasonic, where her name and 45's name were... In the same sentence, in the same breath, in the same story. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? And I know, here's the thing. Believe in God, great. Love that for you. I believe in him to a certain extent. When you get down to the fanatics and the chaos. 
and the cherry picking of verses to defend homophobia, racism, uh, just all kinds of shit. All kinds of hatred, ignorance, and biased-laced ideology and thinking, primarily against minorities, primarily against marginalized demographics. I get off the bus around that curve. You know, y'all get up on these pulpits and it's clear as day that some of these churches, the way they're laid out and some of the theatrics that y'all put into y'all productions, that it's more about the money than the word. Like anytime you go to church and it's, and you can get the feeling that you're on the strip watching a Circus Day Soleil show. Yeah, that's when I hit out. So, back to CC Winans, right? CC Winans decides she wants to get on the pulpit and do an antidote Involving Whitney Houston and, you know, during the course of their friendship. She decides to tell us, the people, a story of why she turned down Whitney's invite to appear in the I'm Every Woman music video. Just appear in the music video. And she ties it into... I'm going to play the whole thing in a minute. She tries to tie that into what she believes. Um, And a huge part of the reason why she declined the invite was because of a lyric in the song. I can cast a spell. Then she goes into scripture verbatim. Your aim is to please him in everything you do. Guess what? A lot of things are not going to even come your way. A lot of us are stressed out about stuff, and we already know that it don't please God. Right? So when you aim to please God, then a lot of offers that come my way, I don't even, I don't even have to think about. You know, one of my one of my dear friends who have gone on to gone on to be with the Lord, praise God. Um, uh, and she was so famous. She was so famous, and she let me know that I really didn't want to be famous. Uh, was Whitney Houston, right? She was my dear sister and friend, and and I remember she was about to do one of her big videos, and uh, it was "I'm Every Woman." It's a great video, right? Really nice. Good, good. The song is, um, when you think about how it was written, it's a great song, right? But the lyrics don't line up with the word of God, right? So she knew, she said, Cece, I want you to be in this video, but I know you're not going to be in it. I said, you're absolutely right. 
Because it started off with, I could cast a spell. I'm not singing that. But, but notice how that message was all wrapped up in the beat, right? Y'all get so hooked onto these beats. And it's like demonic. You're listening to demonic stuff and you wonder why you don't know what's going on. Right? <laughs> you can't listen and look at everything. God say, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either with me or you're not. The biggest deception is the, the devil make you think it's an in-between. Show me a scripture that says there's an in-between. There is no in-between, guys. So, so a lot of stuff is cut out. Y'all worried about stuff that shouldn't even be in your life. Because it says you're either for me or you're against me. So she was like, I know you're not. I said, no, you're right. It's cute, though. Cute video. But then she called me back for counting on me. She's like, sis, I got the song. I was like, this is great. Friendship, this is going to work. Because it lines up with my faith. You see, I'm a believer first. I'm a believer who happens to say. Now, Priscilla. Here's Priscilla, Priscilla, Priscilla. Now, you can probably tell from the audio alone that once she got to the point, Cece got to the point that she turned down the invites when she really like got excited and got amped in her sermon. She was preaching so hard, you would have thought she was trying to run for usher board or first lady or something. It's like you could definitely preach A without telling everybody that you were friends with Whitney Houston. We know. We were there. And B, to judge us for listening to the song. Clearly, you also listened because you knew the lyrics. And you were turned off by a lyric at the top of the song. What trips me out about gospel people and, you know, super Christian people is that they think they're slick. Like, we know that you're trying to disguise or hide behind scripture and book to be very judgmental and very critical of people who don't live or think the way that you do, right? You want to come at us about not only listening to that song, which I agree with her, it is a great song, both versions, but you want to generalize it by saying, y'all get caught up in the beat. Um, ma'am, it, that's not cool, like, Y'all get caught up in the beat and the music. And it's like, mm, where, where, where? Like, is it's, 
when I hear people be judgmental and critical, I read between the lines. And I, I say to myself, you really showing your slip right now. Like, it's clear that you're also listening to the same stuff that we're listening to. Why else would you know so much to even speak on it? And I know y'all hate to hear this, but the reality is most gospel folks are conservative, not only socially, but politically as well. Like those, the same ones, you know, we're not even talking to white folk right now, but like to see black folk, people that look just like you and I, that are aware of the history of us in this country and how it continues to play in every generation in cycles align themselves with white conservatives that at the end of the day is about the dollar which is why I was looking at SEC kind of strange when she decided to do a commercial for Trump or endorsing Trump or saying something in the commercial, it was at the the top part of the Panasonic. I was just like, girl, what are you doing? And then it hit me like, this is another great example of how you can separate or not separate the artist from the personal stuff. Oh, because trust and believe, you know, who you who you follow or support or endorse politically can be a positive or a negative for everybody else. Especially those that look just like you when you're black. So when you get up on these pulpits, people, or you go to these churches and you listen to these people talking about the shit you listen to is demonic. I got to check up the deuces and say, I'm ahead this way. Because so much of a person's development is tied to culture. Expand, expanding one's mind, expanding one's view of the world. Like the great thing about culture, music, plays, music videos, is that you get a perspective of somebody else that doesn't necessarily live in your same city or state. And for those of us that have been around for a while, you get, you pick up on things that they're, that are not out front and you relate to a lot of what's being said because you're in those similar environments. So Cece, you know, you, my girl, you seem like nobody's business. Like you really could have left. Whitney and people's love for music out of your little sermon. 
I mean, you could just get up on the pulpit like a lot of other people and just preach the word without putting anybody else out. Because you can actually do both. Listen to secular music and go to church. But alas, I just remembered, you know, C.C. Winans is auntie age. And when I say auntie, I said, you know, I mentioned something in the previous episode about Stephanie Mills. That, you know, they are of a particular age and a particular time where being a lady meant presenting yourself a particular way and if you're a female musician you present yourself in a particular way and that message extended in the music and live performances and they're of a different time so their opinions are of those that came up in a different time they try not to put down what's happening out here but it may not necessarily be for them you know there's a lot of people out here that are pushing back under the assumption that everybody gotta like them everybody doesn't have to like you But CC Wine is tripping. Love the music. Message could have been different. Wasn't as harsh as like a Kim Burrell or anything. But you, I got to get off on that. Get off the bus on that message. Moving on. America, America has a problem. <laughs> I see Shaka Khan done got y'all in y'all feelings this week. We just off of the hills of Stephanie Mills saying what she, her opinion. And y'all are just in shambles still. So if you're not aware, you know, the kids out here are setting themselves ablaze because of some comments that Shaka Khan made stating her opinions when it came to the Rolling Stones' top 200 singers of all times list, which came out last year. She said a couple of things. And it wasn't even that deep. She said a couple of things when the journalist, the host of the Originals podcast, Andrew Goldman, I believe his name is, brought it up and asked, you know, went through the list. <sighs> One through ten. And she made like two or three word responses to some of the on the list then he went down certain numbers certain names that were before her on the list and some names that were after 
And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people out here like to throw themselves on the sword for their faves, not realizing that it's just an opinion. Like the list in and of itself, the Rolling Stones list, very much clear that they're leaning in favor of the current generation, a generation that mostly consists of people that don't or were not aware or around during the heyday of some of the legends like Diana Ross and Shaka Khan and Patti LaBelle and Tina Turner. So it's like, that's probably why some of the the stronger best voices which belong to older acts are rated lower. Yeah, I didn't forget that, you know, they left Celine Dion off. I don't, I wouldn't have went as far as her fans did by picketing outside of the Rolling Stones office. But it's like, the disrespect is, is bonkers for me. So, for those of you that piggybacked off of other people's opinions about what Shaka Khan had to say. Shaka, Shaka Khan was on a podcast called The Originals, hosted by Andrew Goldman. The episode, as well as the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts. She, The episode dropped yesterday or the day before last. It's roughly an hour, hour and a half. Andrew Goldman is a certified, credible journalist of music, news, so on and so forth. So he knows what he's talking about. Went th- I went through his podcast, you know, earlier episodes, and I saw that he had interviewed. He's interviewed a lot of different artists, and he does it from a reverence perspective. So, the lead-in before the Shaka Khan interview, which is, it clearly sounds like it was done over Zoom. While he, while he conducts the interview, the podcast from his house in New England, he gives some background as... You know, Shaka Khan's upbringing, Shaka Khan's background, where she's from, um, the opportunities, singing in girl, girl groups, and leading into how she became part of Rufus. And goes on to talk about accolades from her solo career. So, the hour itself... Those of us that have been outside for a long time are aware of how and who Shaka Khan is outside of her distinctive voice and her impactful legacy. Shaka Khan, like Stephanie Mills and so many of the other artists, particularly female artists, from that same, that same cloth are women that, for the most part, have no cut cards. You know, Dionne Warwick, 
has her way. Um, Gladys Knight and Diana Ross are more in a refined sense because, you know, they went through the Motown thing. So it's it's different. Um, but you have some that are just like, this is who I am. This is what I said and I'm not changing it. Shaka Khan's no ex- exception. But it was funny to me being on Twitter earlier today, the day before, watching people throw themselves into the fire, coming up with these like ridiculous claims that Shaka Khan has made against like Prince and all this other stuff. And I'm from the school of if you believe what you're telling me, where are the receipts, right? So, first five minutes that she starts talking on this podcast episode, on the Originals podcast, I'm cracking up. So, the part about the list, you know, there's a little bit of mention in the early part of the episode but the part that everybody's harking on, the part that was picked up, is at the tail end of the of the episode. At the end of the day, regardless of whether you agree with Shia Khan or you don't, Shia Khan has lived. Like, you learn a great amount, you know, meeting Ray, working with Ray Charles and working with Quincy Jones, how she met Miles Davis. Like, Miles Davis essentially came out of nowhere. Like, she didn't see him coming. And one of the first things he did was he laid his head in her lap, which she thought was so strange. You know, Andrew Goldman asked her, again, you know, they love, people love asking her, her opinions on the Through the Wire collaboration. No, she says that that's not actually her singing it. And her only gripe is that she wasn't brought in to actually sing it on the song, which would have meant more money to her. But she's over it, right? Now, the other thing that people walked away from the story that's out there is that the huge thing this week was that she didn't, she was, she doesn't like the remake of Sweet Thing that Mary J. Blige did. But again, for those of us that were outside, know that Shaka Khan and Mary J. Blige have a friendship. Like it didn't just start the day before this came out. So, if you actually go back, if you actually go listen to the episode on the Originals podcast, she gives the context and she talks about when the song, when the remake first came out in 1992, she had a conversation at some point she had a conversation with Mary and she was like girl 
what time of day was it when you recorded that song? And Mary was like, oh, you know, I was out all night the night before, and we recorded that song 8 in the morning the next day. She was like, Shai Khan was like, no, 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 no. Girl, you don't sing that early in the morning. The first thing you do when you wake up should not be to sing that early in the morning. Now, as much as we all love Mary, you know, she... You know, Shaka Khan did go in a little bit. It sounded flat, like Mary sings flat sometimes. That's not news to us that had Vibe magazine subscriptions. Like, we all know that Mary sings flat. Mary may get a note wrong. But that's part of why we love her. So it trips me out when another person says it. And not just any person, an artist that has influenced Mary, says it. We like to throw tomatoes. Tomatoes, 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 tomatoes. And it's like, we've been saying that all through the 90s. And we still buy the music because the shit's jamming. But here we are, 2023, acting like it's news. Like, y'all aren't saying the same thing from y'all couch when y'all see her perform live. That's not news. But the other thing about Shaka Khan is anything she's saying in an interview, nine times out of ten, she's already said it to the person's face. And Shaka Khan, like Stephanie Mills, although they've been like that all their lives... They're at a point to where they don't give a fuck. And I'm like, if they don't give a fuck, why should we? And I was outside during Mary J's heyday, so it's not news to me. And y'all know damn well, y'all say the same thing about Mary J. Watch. So beyond that, you know, they go more into the background stuff as far as how to tell me something good come about, whose idea was it to turn Rufus into two acts, um, what, what was the situation with I Feel For You? Tell us about Prince, Scientology, how did Higher Love come about and Addicted to Love, you know, her do have Barry White staying power, and the, and the kids. So, apparently, Shaka Khan is, either has a memoir out or is about to drop one. So the interview was essentially, or the episode was essentially around the memoir. So when it comes to Tell Me Something Good, you know, Stevia initially came to her and Rufus with two different songs. 
They weren't essentially feeling either one. At some point during the conversation, Stevie Wonder asked Shaka Khan what her zodiac sign was, which is Aries on the cusp of Pisces. At which point, Stevie said, Oh, I got something for you. And that's when he came back with Tell Me Something Good, which put them on the map in a major way. Um, None of the guys in Rufus liked any of the guys that Shaka was either dating or married to. They viewed every single guy as a threat. It was the record. It was Rufus's record label at the time. Their idea to change the band name from Rufus to Shaka Khan and, and Rufus, or Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan's only been married twice, and her body count is less than five. So. In the book, she talks about her first marriage. I think Richard Holland was her first or second marriage. There was a rumor, an urban legend that went around back in the day that she shot at Richard Holland. She went on the podcast to clarify that. So what it was is one night during the time that they were married and living in Calabasas. She came home with her four-year-old daughter. Shaka Khan at the time was eight and a half months pregnant, and Richard was supposed to leave a key under the mat. When she got home with her four-year-old daughter, there was no key under the, under the mat. There are no street lights. It's completely dark out. And she's trying to get in the house. So Shaka Khan, at eight and a half months pregnant, breaks the glass on the window, makes her way into the house. At some point later in the evening, Richard Holland gets back, drunk as hell. They get into an altercation. She holds him gunpoint, at gunpoint, while she's on the phone with the cops. So that's how that went down. She didn't pull the trigger. She didn't shoot at him. She just wanted him out. So Andrew Goldman goes on to ask about more of her solo music, right? I Feel For You. One of her biggest solo hits. Which is essentially a remake of Prince's song. Prince wrote the song, had it on one of his pre-Purple Rain albums. I believe it was the second, his second album. The way Andrew Goldman laid it out was... No, it's, it essentially sounds like the way the song plays out that you're being groped in the studio. Like the cuts and the edits from the stuttering of Melly Mel's voice to the way Shaq Khan's voice comes in and cuts out and comes in. And I thought about it, I was like, 
that sounds about right. And Shaka Khan said she went to the head of her the label at the time, or I guess uh, her manager, A&R, or whatever, I met. The same guy that brought, I believe, Aretha Franklin to Atlanta Records. Records. And he said, it's a hit. And that was the end of that. So, she goes on, when the subject then turns to Prince again, she says that they were good friends, they went bowling. She understood his clock, that you know, he's one of those people that is very private about his life, doesn't divulge a lot of stuff and had his way with things and about things, particularly about his music. And that, you know, he was one of those people to her that once she met him, she she instantly understood who he was and knew what he was about. I feel some kind of way that the album they did together, Come to My House, is not on streaming platforms. I feel some kind of way. She did an album on Paisley Park Records slash MPG, New Power Generation, called Come to My House. That album is not available on streaming, and I feel some kind of way about that. Because she did a remake of one of Prince's songs, Don't Talk to Strangers. His version is on the Girl 6 soundtrack. That song, that the remake that she did was on Down in the Delta, but also on the album she did on his label. I feel some kind of way about that. But she has other stuff on there. But the album essentially came and went. But anyway, they get into talking about Scientology. They, for the longest time, tried to recruit her into Scientology. Like, met with her. She rejected them numerous times. Would send celebrities, Scientologists over there to try to convince her to join them. She was like, no. She said, essentially, that they're fucked up, weak-minded people. She met all of them. It don't mean shit to, to them. Another moment where I cracked the fuck up. She says she took two courses about boundaries, which to me implies that Scientology doesn't believe in boundaries. Then it goes on to talk about the recording, the recording she did with Steve Winwood back in the 80s, Higher Love, and what was supposed to be a duet with Robert Palmer, uh, Addicted to Love. Each uh, have a similar story, but with Robert Palmer, they had like a whirlwind thing, a romance. By the third date, he asked her, he said, you know, I'm working on a song. I would like for you to come into the studio and work with me on it. She went in, she produced the vocals, and sang her parts. When the song got delivered to Warner Brothers, Warner Brother Records, a label that both of them were on, 
They got insulted, pissed that she was on there. Had Robert Palmer take her vocals off of the song. Robert had to fight to at least get her vocal production credit. It's a similar story with Higher Love, but her and Steve Winwood were never in a romance. Now, when it comes to the duet she did with Barry White on his Staying Power album, it's called The Longer We Make Love. There are two versions of the same song on the album. The duet he did with Shaka Khan that she implies they did first. But Andrew Goldman shaped the question in a way where it was like, well, how do you feel that there's a second version on the same album that he did? With Lisa Stanfield. She was like. I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. (sighs) Another time that I laughed. So. Again. You know. This was the time. Now the interviewer. Would ask. Shaka. You know. About rumors. That she. She said something about Prince and somebody on Twitter was trying to say was telling me that oh you know Shaka Khan she's homophobic she went to Arsenio Hall and said Prince had AIDS and I'm like well show me the receipts and they were like well go to YouTube no bitch you go to YouTube and tell me drop a link it ain't that hard if it if it's true so I think where people get mixed up this is why I don't jump on a bandwagon is because even in some people's minds, people on the street that have no credibility can't get shit right. So when listening to this podcast, this particular episode, the interviewer is a journalist, not like a first year, but has been doing it for at least 20 or 30 years, comes into the interview, knows what he's talking about, and gives the artist the floor to clear up anything that the journalist has heard. So he he goes on to say to talk about how people were pissed at Shaka for what she said about Prince back in the day, about Prince giving somebody herpes. Shaka Khan said that she didn't say that. Prince was extremely private about his life, claims that she meant what was said during an interview to to a comment the interviewer said. Where the interviewer was like, and this is back in, you know, the 90s, maybe the 80s, when I guess they were working together or they people knew that they had a song together or whatever. And females particularly... Wanted to get with Prince. And were just crazy attracted to Prince. So I guess during the interview. The woman. And her. High hormonal state. Was like. I probably would have got down with Prince. If I was in the studio. To which Shackle jokingly responded. I'm probably. It's probably glad that you didn't. Because didn't a girl sue him for giving her herpes. She said. Yeah, I said it jokingly. Now, I know a lot of y'all out here would throw yourselves in the sword. 
But I'm, I guarantee y'all, you know, for the sake of, you know, slut shaming and sex shaming, but it's like a lot of people, a lot of what we're seeing now with celebrities, you know, especially off of the heels of that girl, the black girl that was with Gloria Allred claiming Usher gave her herpes, right? That came and went. And y'all were, you know, but during that time, y'all were looking at her like, ain't no possible way. And it's like, not y'all being like fat shaming and fat phobic. Like, y'all can't have it both ways. Like, I'll try to be all deep and advocates and stuff, but on the same, in the same breath, y'all just as superficial as the next person. I'd never heard that story before about Prince giving some girl herpes or a girl suing him for giving her herpes. Surely back in the day, Oprah would have probably asked him in an interview because, you know, Oprah be setting people up. Go back and look at those old tapes. But nevertheless, it gets to a real point in the episode, the interview, where they, where Andrew Goldman asked uh, Shaq Khan about her kids. You know, the kids growing up stayed mostly with Shaka's mom. And Shaq Khan was like, yeah, I was the breadwinner for the entire family. I had to go to work. She said I'd come home from tour, and when she did, she would just leave her body and escape. Like, she was there, but she wasn't there. At some point, you know, the kids were a source of pain and guilt for her, and to this day, which haunts her to this day. She says now that, like, her and her kids are in a better space, but Shaka still feels guilt. You know, a lot of a lot of things that people miss when they jump on, you know, selective cherry picking statements that Chaka Khan said. They just take it and and run with it and think she's being a hater. But it's like you have to get into the context and the perspective, and that comes with knowledge of the artist and who they are as people. Like, there are no cut cards. Shaka Khan and Stephanie Mills are two aunties in the culture that are a reflection of the same aunties we have in our families that will tell you straight up. You know, they were probably delicate and soft with you up until you became an adult. And now that you're an adult, and they're a lot older now, they're aware that there isn't much time left, but they definitely have lived. And Shaka Khan and Stephanie Mills are two women, two female artists that have the credentials and the credibility to back up what they're saying. And just like I was saying earlier about y'all want to be deep. 
and be gatekeepers and toe the line when it comes to fucking and physicality. But at the same time, in the same breath, y'all want to be superficial. Again, y'all want to be gatekeepers and toe the line for some of y'all musical faves. Like, can't anybody have an opinion and not and not feel or be in tune with what music is now when y'all say the same shit like it's too it's too much sex it's too in your face you know where's the art like y'all do that between two contemporaries of music today like any two especially in rap so i don't i'm not understanding the hypocrisy And y'all know that Rolling Stones list was bogus. Like, I've been through... I've lived through Michael Jackson, Jan Jackson, Luther Vandross, Tina Turner, Gladys Knight, Chuck... Like, I've lived through all of those artists with the exception of, like... Well, Ray Charles, a little bit. But, you know, the older artists that died, like, before I was born. But still, it's like... Rolling Stones is a mainstream white, like, rock musician type of magazine. Like, the only way you're possibly going to rank as high as you do is if you're, if you're an artist that has either changed the trajectory of music early on or you your voice like it's vocalist so there's no way that like Whitney Houston is going to come out of the top three or even the top five not even the top ten like some of their some of their ratings I was just like you put Tina Turner where But at the end of the day, it's still just an opinion. You know what I mean? Like, if I was to do 200, I would have put, like, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Tina Turner, at least in the the top 20. I wouldn't put a lot of like white artists current or before as high as they did on some of these lists. Once I saw Frank Ocean was above Kelly Clarkson and I think it was Jennifer Hudson or Fantasia, I said, you got to be smoking. Like even I knew the list was shit. And even I knew that, you know, this is not new. This is not new when it comes to Shaka Khan's way. Like, she's she's lobbied or had opinions about things happening. Like, 
lifetime achievement level type of stuff happening for people sooner than she felt like when news broke I remember when news broke that Chris Rock got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame I believe she was pissed about that and I was like rightfully so because I don't even think she has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame and it's like what can you really do you know what I mean like It's not like she's just wilding out. Like, I sat back and I was like, some of what she's saying, I can get with. Because it's like, you have people younger than me getting, like, huge accomplishments. But Shaka Khan is at an age and has been in an age where she's just like, fuck it. I'm too, I'm over it. I'm still busy. Leave me the fuck alone. But Shaka Khan has lived, so it's like, there are, there's a lot of stories there. There, she has been through a lot. I mean, she was a Black Panther at one point or another. Carrying guns and such. Like, there's a lot of respect to be had there. You think she gives a fuck about... 20 and 30 year olds that don't have much money but have a lot of opinions are you know keyboard thugs for Twitter and Instagram like it's absolutely possible to revere two or more people at the same time And not receive something you don't like as hateration against somebody you love. Like you want to throw yourself in front of somebody and protect somebody in this economy? You want to tussle and and have these shit takes and, and share them? on a platform and think everybody's on the side with you like this isn't an echo chamber it's like I've been new and I actually I think I'll save that for story time later but getting to the originals podcast and getting to that Shaka Khan interview he has other episodes over there too Andrew Goldman I believe his name is it's on Apple Podcasts it's a great episode, great interviewer, great journalist. Um, I enjoyed it. I felt an obligation as the proprietor and the star of the I Refuse podcast to do my due diligence. Go over there and listen to the whole interview, the whole episode in its entirety before I get up on here. And just engage or sh- or bond with other people's ignorance. I just simply refuse. Moving on. America, America has a problem. I just got done watching 
the Chris Rock Netflix special, Selective Outrage. It's got to be, in my opinion, one of his best comedy stand-up specials. And I wanted to wait a couple of days until you know everybody else got their shit takes out and their tweets and stuff out about the special. First of all, let me say that absolutely genius for Chris Rock to wait until he got to this point. Now, to really maximize his his feelings and everything. You know, he did he did some dates and he around um the country, you know, since the slap. But he went full throttle in this in this Netflix special. And it's like you got to understand like yeah, the slap happened a year ago. But don't don't get it mixed up. He talked about a lot of other things in the special. And the theme is selective outrage, right? Like how it's okay for one person to do something, but it's not okay for somebody else to do something equally offensive. And in the special, there are a lot of positive things that he discusses. You know, he discusses his daughter, one of his children, going to culinary school in France. And he ties that into the background of his mother, born in the late 1940s in South Carolina. And how at that time, it was against the law for black people to see a white dentist. If you were black in those days and you needed to see a dentist or wanted to see a dentist, you had to go see a vet. A doctor of medicine that works on pets. So now we're at a point where his mother twice a month or twice a year, I think he said, gets to go to Paris, have coffee, hang out with her granddaughter in Paris. And it's not really what it's all about now. For those of us that have been outside since... This is New Jack City. Chris Rock did, in one of Chris Rock's specials, it's either Bigger and Blacker or Never Scared, where he talked, he may even mention it in Tambourine, where he talked about, my job as a father is to keep my daughters off of the pole. And that's the first thing that came to my mind when he was talking about this this particular experience with his daughter and how proud of her he is. And, you know, he talks about raising children and not only raising them, but being able to 
give them the best. And he admits that they're spoiled. But also, co-parenting the children when they were younger. Um, you know, his daughter was acting up in school, and there was an incident where I think they said she she bit somebody. And they went into the school, and, you know, the the ex-wife at the time was talking to Chris at some point about we should sue the school, we should sue the principals, we should teach it, blah, 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 blah. And it got to a point to where Chris was like, just, we really want you just to kick our daughter out of school. And I thought back to a challenge or a, a myriad of challenges that a friend of mine who's been on the podcast before was having issues with him and his wife were having issues with, uh, I believe it was a private school who just didn't handle their daughter the right way. And I, and there are parallels to where it's like they, these private schools get all this money and, especially when it comes to black kids, it's like they they want to make an example out of them instead of putting some curriculum or some development things in place to help the child. And, you know, after that, the experience humbled his daughter at the time and now she's soaring so it's like those kind of examples is are ones that are often overlooked but it's like the perfect example for selective outrage where it's like had his daughter been white it wouldn't have been a, a big deal put her in time out blah 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 but here we are in a society right now where it's like you see on a major scale, a major stage, the direct result of what happens when a child is not disciplined early versus a child that is disciplined. You don't see many of us going around doing shootings. You don't see... A lot of us being driven across state lines to shoot at protesters. You don't see us on the receiving end of multi-million dollar lawsuits, civil lawsuits, because we value guns over lives. It's usually them. So at some point... There, there are a couple of points in the special where Chris Rock does foreshadowing. You know, I don't want another rapper mad at me. You know, he talks about um, Beyonce and, you know, the value of beauty, right? Like, immensely talented, very creative, 
very good artist and performer. She is also extremely strikingly gorgeous. So gorgeous that if Beyonce was working at Burger King, she could pull a billionaire. Now, on the flip side of that, if Jay-Z was working at Burger King... (laughs) Right, so... He ends that joke with, you know, love Jay-Z. I don't want another rapper mad at me. And probably halfway through the the third or final act, you know, he he starts gearing towards the slap. Like, he mentioned it a little bit, like, midway through the hour. Um, and it was just like, for me, it was they milked the press and the media and a lot of people on Twitter milked the fuck out of that slap. The slap was all of about five seconds. That slap got more coverage than the fact that it was the first time in history that a black male produced the award ceremony that there were multiple black presenters like nobody talked enough about Will Packer and the history he made nobody talked about this is probably the first year in as many years that there were multiple black nominees everybody talked about the slap so There were mixed reviews or reactions to the end, the tail end of the special, to where it was like, you know, it was very personal, and why do you wait this long? Why, you know, they should have edited a little bit more. It's a live show. My reaction is that here you have somebody, Chris Rock, who... Even going into the the from the heart moment about the slap and how he felt about well, it was like here's somebody you've admired and you looked up to to you know in a certain degree ever since his hip hop days. Watching Will Smith as Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff open up for Run DMC, once in a lifetime kind of stuff, right? You get to a point to where it's clear to the rest of us that your wife has embarrassed you on social media, on TV, wherever the Red Table Talk is presented about an entanglement. Like, sat across from you and interviewed you about how you felt that she was sucking another dude's dick. And even watching that interview or that episode, it was just clear to me that they were trying to do damage control. Mind you, none of us actually asked for it. Like, quiet as a cap, none of us really asked for Red Table Talk. But it was like they kept trying to make it clear numerous times during the the Red Table Talk episode about August Alcina that 
they were split up at that time. And I thought in the back of my mind, I'm like, that would have made news. Like, we weren't together. I wasn't liking you at the time. Yada, 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 yada. Now, mind you, everybody that's been breathing the past 25 years is aware that Will and Jada have an interesting marriage open. Some people think Will and Dwayne are a little too tight. Some people think that Will and Benny Medina are a little too tight. And then you have Jada who is getting bust down by her son's friend, August Alcina. But they kept saying it like throughout the episode. And I'm just like, you know, you don't have to say the truth more than once. But here we are at the Oscars last year. All this stuff is out. You clearly felt some kind of way. And the thing about it is like, it wasn't that long before, you know, Jada was going on this campaign and speaking out. Oh, well, you know, Chris Rock shouldn't host the Oscars because they snubbed Will on the concussion movie. And it was just like, that's really not how that works. Like the solidarity thing isn't going to change anything on the other side. Like Chris Rock hosting, not hosting isn't going to change anything. They're just going to get another comedian. And this is coming from somebody that is in that industry, in that world. Like you're not hurt. You're not hurting from it if you know will you know if chris rock doesn't host and will smith doesn't get nominated or anything everybody moves on but it's like you're putting all the pressure and the strain or the expectation on somebody else whose job is to host be a comedian like be an entertainer just like you and your husband Very weird. So, clearly, Jada was the one that started it. And Chris Rock finished it, and Will didn't like that. And it's, to some degree, it's like, there is some bitch-assness when somebody lashes out instead of looking in. Like, look within your own backyard. The rest of us are doing who we are and who we're here to be. Meanwhile, you're being embarrassed by the person you're sitting next to. And nobody asked for any of y'all's business. There were some some parts of the the comedy special where I definitely saw remnants of 90s Chris Rock and I was just like this is what I love I got to see Chris Rock in 2017 down at the MGM Grand in Oxen Hill live uh, trying to think who he had open for him I think he had Antonio Bolden open up for him 
White Hat set, both of them did really well. This was the tambourine tour, but this was not the one that they filmed for Netflix. And chance of a lifetime to see him, even though we were up in the nosebleeds, they had the big screen or whatever. Great time. So it's a it was a huge deal for for this particular one to be live from Baltimore at the not the lyric but the the Merrick I think I think that's what it's called. One of his best stand ups and. For me, the the end. My res, my response is like you. Chris Rock was disappointed in Will, for the way he handled, the way he reacted, and it definitely changed his view and his respect for Will Smith. And I felt that, and I resonated with that. You know, people are like, well. Why did he wait so long? He didn't, Chris Rock actually didn't wait that long. He had been, he had kept that same energy way closer to the the incident. But the thing, the great thing about it where the genius comes in is he didn't tour or do like small venues talking about it. He didn't use or, you know, exhaust his energy to talk about it all over the place the past year. This is where it's at. And I'm going to put it on that, you know, put it on Netflix and totally like the, the biggest streaming platform. And... It's going to do big numbers. Everybody's going to check it out and everybody's going to know how I feel. But that wasn't the primary focus of the special. So, I give the I give Selective Outrage about an 8 out of 10. Now, Chris Rock doesn't have a dud when it comes to his comedy albums and his comedy specials. He has not a single dud in his catalog. And he did, there wasn't like a a lull or a weak spot or like a he was running out of steam or anything. I mean, he talked about a lot of societal things and he talked about like Racist yoga pants, which is probably like the weakest part of the the show, but that's not bad for an hour long special. I kept wondering why, when I started the damn thing, started the damn um, special, the the timer started at two hours and forty minutes. I was like, what the fuck am I missing? Um. But he he talked about, you know, being black and how welcoming welcoming the Kardashians are. He talked about 
how he's more at home with a trans woman than the original recipe. <laughs> because trans women know sports. I screamed. Like, they'll yell out what a particular term, you know, a particular play is or an action is in a football game, and he'll turn to them and say, thank you, Peaches. I screamed. Um, like, it, it was, it's amazing to watch. Like, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are really the two biggest comedians, like, that have maintained a standard of funny and done so for about, geez, over 30 years. And it's like, you, it gets no better than them, it really, at this point. So, Chris Rock did the damn thing. 8 out of 10 from Mr. Fox. Go check it out on Netflix as soon as you can. And we will be back to talk about The Real Housewives of Potomac Season 7, a review, and the Season 7 reunion. Keep it locked. This is Mr. Fox of the I Refuse Podcast. Come outside. We won't jump you. Come outside. We won't jump you. So, recently on the Bird app, which is Twitter, there was a circulation of a tweet from a gay married couple slash adult content creators announcing to the rest of us that don't give a shit that they recently found out that they were biologically related, that they were brothers. Or at least half-brothers. I tried to respond to the tweet directly, but the account and the tweet were no longer around. At any rate, this inspired other gay couples to mimic verbatim the tweet, affix it to a photo of the couple in question, and keep it the tr the trend going here's what i get here is where i get off the back of the bus i'm like driver pull over driver back door the gag is this particular trend is one that probably should be left on the cutting room floor because the truth of the matter is the majority of gay couples in serious relationships both guys or all the guys in the relationship either look exactly like one another or are at the very least adjacent. And this is not a same outfit everywhere they go, which is weird in and of itself. This isn't like the same mannerisms. Again, also weird. This isn't even on some Mr. Ripley type-ish. Like, I want to be you. Like, you gotta go, I wanna be you. This is when you scroll through your timeline and you see a couple that, whether or not they are of two different body types, they look exactly alike in the face or are similar in resemblance. And this is more common with the whites. Like this, it's to a point where it's bucking inclusion, bucking diversity, 
and very much giving I love myself. There's a couple in Maryland. Like I, every once in a while, their stuff will pop up on my timeline and Twitter because it's not safe for work, of course. But then, somehow or another, because the data on Twitter is picked up by Facebook, I guess the what ended up happening on my timeline on Facebook is that both of those guys were in a group photo with some drag performers in Baltimore. And I looked at them and I was like, they look so much alike in the face. It's just one is probably more muscular, a little filled out. But I was stunned. I was just like, this really is a thing. This really is a thing. And it's bizarre if you actually think about it. But every once in a while on Twitter, well, weekly at this point, you know, there's a main character or main characters. And what starts off as one little bitty tweet becomes a whole thing across several timelines. I didn't know anything about it until somebody, a mutual follower, he and I follow each other, was talking about it, but not pointing to it. Like, he made a new tweet. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? And then at some point, another follower retweeted with a response. I was just like, oh, that's them. And I looked at the two guys in the original tweet, and I was just like, y'all look like brothers in the face. But come to find out that not only not only did they make that announcement, but I heard that they're staying together. But I also heard that they were doing that to promote their music. Bitch, when I tell you there must be school glue or turpentine in the water where some of y'all live, because ain't no fucking way. There's no no goddamn way that you would ever catch me doing some shit in the vicinity to that. But yeah, y'all gotta find something else to do. Go out, touch a blade of grass, fly a kite, build a sandcastle, go rollerblade and do something. Because y'all are, we are down bad in this Panasonic. Those of us that are actually doing shit like this and those of us that actually look at the shit. Like, at this point, y'all make me not want to come out the house. <laughs>